the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. Celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630 The Word. Visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. You need only to provide the phone call. Our phones have been quiet this week, so we'd love your participation, 210-340-9585, if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, the safest way to call if you're driving is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. And you will be connected directly to our studio producer. We've got a lot going on tonight. I'm going to be teaching one of my favorite Bible studies, Second Kings chapter 2. I'm going to do the first 15 verses uh, tonight. Um, it's, it's so practically valuable for all of us, um, whatever it is that we're, we're, we're striving for. Um, Boy, this is sort of like a formula. This is how we can get right where God wants us to be. It's a great Bible study. Uh, so that's tonight, 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com, or you can be here and join us. We always have room on Wednesday nights. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the Date Day Show, as always. And we would be thrilled to take your questions. And Paula is a great encourager, so tomorrow could be that day for you. Well, let me get to questions while we are waiting for phone calls today. Our first one uh, is uh, from Anonymous. Um, He or she says, I was talking to a friend about how I was feeling convicted about drinking more than I should. And they said, we're not perfect and never will be. Live your life. You don't have to be a saint to honor God's word. How do I know when I need to give myself the grace that God shows me or if the other person is being sort of deceiving. Uh, anonymous, the, the, the other person that you're talking to, that is the lie of the devil. Just, I'm sure he or she doesn't know that that's uh, what they're doing, but, but, but this is really what's wrong with Western Christianity. We think, well, we're not perfect, so I can go ahead and intentionally or willfully do stuff I know I'm not supposed to do. And you know better than that. And when the Spirit of God is convicting you about such a thing, you have the personal responsibility, regardless of what anybody else in this world says, you have the personal responsibility to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Uh, when he or she says you don't have to be a saint to honor God's Word, uh, actually we need to remember that we are saints. We're already saints by virtue of being born again. And it's time for us to start living up to the responsibility of living the life that Jesus has for us. 
you know, this is what the Apostle Paul deals with in the early chapters of Romans when he when he talks about, well, well where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. So what shall we say then? Shall shall we continue sinning because it gives the Lord an opportunity to, to do grace? And his answer is no, God forbid. And this is really one of the things, I mentioned this a moment ago, that is really, really the source of, of our lack of power in the first century church. I would ask you, why would you drink at all? Why would you drink at all? Because you're free to drink, but you're also free not to drink. And since the Holy Spirit is telling you that you shouldn't be doing it, why are you doing it? What value do you gain from drinking? And I know people say, well, you know, I like it, or it just kind of chills me out, or, or it's the only way I can get to sleep at night. Doesn't it demonstrate to you that drinking has a hold on you, control over you? Paul says he's free to do all things, but he won't be mastered or controlled by anything. And I think this is one of those things where you've got to make a choice. You can listen to somebody who is going to stumble you. Bad company corrupts good character. Are you going to listen to somebody who's going to stumble you, somebody that the devil can use? Or are you going to listen to God who gave you his Holy Spirit in order to protect you? Because God wants so much more for you. And this whole idea about Christians or or coming from Christians is that, you know, we're not perfect, so live your life. There is no life lived out of the will of God. It is frustrating. It is empty. Yes, it's satisfying at times to the flesh. And yes, there are some things that our flesh will consider fun, but there's always a price to pay. And now, Anonymous, you, because the Spirit of God is convicting you and you know it, to continue to drink would be willful disobedience to God. I just, for the life of me, can't understand why we would want to do those things that we know God disapproves of. Now, your friend is right. We're not perfect. And there are going to be some times when we slip. But that is 100% different than intentionally sinning because God's going to give us grace. So don't give yourself grace at all. God is the giver of grace. You, you can't give yourself any grace. When you are willfully disobeying what the Spirit of God is telling you to do, I promise you He is going to make life more and more miserable for you because His plan for you is better by far, infinitely better than yours. And think about all that emptiness. You go out with your friends and you drink. Imagine for a moment explaining that to Jesus on the day when you stand before him and we're all going to give account of our lives. The last thing that I'll comment on this um, is your friend's statement that you don't have to be a saint to honor God's word. Um, unless you are a saint and living like it, you, you cannot honor God's word. It's that simple. It's not like we get to pick and choose. Some things are okay and some things are not okay. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. He's the one who gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So your decision is, what are you going to do, Anonymous, with what the Spirit of God, because he loves you, because he loves you, what are you going to do with that information? Think of the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus sad. You listen to your friend and you're going to walk away sad. And I know I said that would be my last comment, but this is my last comment. That person is not a friend of yours. Anybody that would drag you from the Lord, anybody that would drag you out of the path of his will or the path of obedience is not a friend. You may enjoy their company um, under normal circumstances. Their, their, their company may be very pleasant. However, this is not a friend of yours. And you need to recognize that. Thank you for the question. I pray and we'll be praying that you will get uh, to that place where there's nothing that matters more to you than obedience. Here is another anonymous question from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor On. Do you think parents should make their teenagers go to youth camp? 
We signed up our teenager. We didn't even ask him. However, two sets of parents from church asked their respective teenagers, and they both said no. Maybe I'm wrong, but as a Christian mom, am I supposed to ask my teenager if he wants to go? You've hit on a hot-button issue for me, Anonymous. These parents, and I'm talking Christian parents. I'll never understand this, but Christian parents who solicit their children's opinion about what's best for them, I simply can't understand them. You have a worldly kid he needs, she needs to be at youth camp. It's that simple. It's an opportunity for Jesus to deal with their hearts. I could tell you hours worth of stories over the years that we've done youth camp here at our church. I could tell you hours worth of stories about how people's lives had been changed simply by being at a place where God had them all to himself. That's why retreats, men's and women's, are so valuable. But but maybe even more so for the kids um, these days who are going through things that we never imagined possible before. And for a parent to say, uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to church? We've even had parents who caved in to their children's request to pick a church because their children like the fun youth group instead of going to a church where the Bible is taught. Parents, your children's opinion doesn't matter at all. It's time for you to be the parent. Remind your child or children that that's exactly who they are. They're the kids under your authority, and they will do what you tell them to do, and they'll do it without grumbling and complaining. It, 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 it's, it's an amazing thing to me um, that parents would even consider asking their children what they want to do when it's our responsibility before God to do what is best for our children. And they don't get a vote, Anonymous. So, God bless you. you signing up your teenager. Um, and for the two sets of parents who are asking their respective teenagers, and they both said no, um, if you care about these people and love them, your response should be, why would you ask them what to do? Typically, it demonstrates who's really in control in the house. And that's really, really, really a recipe for failure. So I hope that makes sense to you, Anonymous. Thank you for the stand that you took. Here is a question, this one from Michelle from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor On. Is my husband right? Probably not, but that's just my editorial comment. It says, our kids listen to him more than I do. Um... I don't know if you mean more than they listen to you or more than you listen to him. (laughs) He says, because he has the authority of Jesus. I admit he reads, prays, and is closer to to God than I am. I have to yell for my kids to listen to me. Is he right or is this an arrogant response? Michelle, I I don't know your husband and don't know you, so I don't know. uh, I'm, I'm in no position to judge whether or not he's being arrogant. But I can tell you this. You ought to be challenged by your husband being closer to to the Lord than you are by reading and praying. Um, I don't know why you would want to lag behind. The two of you ought to be in the Word together. Um, it's there, There's no reason other than uh, being spiritually lazy, and if that's the case, um, you know, there, there's nothing that's going to bring you satisfaction. So probably the reason your kids listen to him more than they do to you is because they see godliness in him that is missing in you. And when you say that you have to yell for your kids to listen to me, let me tell you something. They're not really listening even when they appear to be listening to you. When parents yell, the kids tune them out, period. Why would the children listen to you if you're not following Jesus closely yourself? So please consider this prayerfully. Be in the Word. Find out what God wants you to do. You need the power of God. And then you'll have the authority of God. You know, authority comes from setting an example. And too often, 
we we want the authority, we want people to do what we say, but we're not even doing what we know to do. So why would anybody listen to you? So Michelle, this is really a time for you to repent, to get right with God, um, to sit down and really talk with your husband about these things so that your children are on the same page. One of the things that your husband needs to do is to sit down with your children and say, the woman that you make yell at you in order to get your attention is my wife. And I won't have her disrespected that way. So when your mother speaks, she speaks with the same authority that I do. You do what she tells you to do. You do it the first time. You do it with the right attitude. Again, we've got kids that are sort of ruling the roost in too many homes, and it just shouldn't be that way. So, Michelle, you sit down with your husband and read. You pray together. And then you spend some time alone with the Lord and what your children are going to see, what your husband is going to find is is a wife who's getting closer and closer to Jesus. And that will benefit all of you. And I, I just can't understand the, well, he's closer to God than I am. Why is that the case? Why is it the case? How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? It's Amos 3.3. 3. You need to be equally yoked within the marriage, and, and it's very possible to be unequally yoked even when you're married to a Christian. So stop holding back. You dig in. You find a way to get closer and closer to Jesus. It will enrich your life immeasurably. And you'll never know that. Here's the sad thing. You'll never know that until you do it. So I hope that makes sense to you and I hope that you will do some serious prayerful thinking about this, Michelle. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Rachel from our mobile app. Pastor Ron, I'm considering joining a Bible study fellowship here in the area. Should I go? Rachel, um, I don't know if you're the Rachel that I'm thinking of or not. Um, Bible study fellowship, I'm I'm always for um, people getting more Bible study. Um, I'm always for that. Uh, however, um, if your church is teaching the Word, um, Bible Study Fellowship isn't going to give you what you get in a faithful Bible teaching church. Um, it's a commitment um, that you need to consider carefully. Um, the, the people at BSF, they're wonderful people, and uh, it is a solid Bible study program. Um, but the reality is is that it's a parachurch organization. And nobody should go outside the church, and that's what a parachurch organization is. Nobody should go to a parachurch organization when they're part of a healthy, active body of believers. So, again, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, doctrinally, they're cessationists. Uh, they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit being for today, especially the gift of tongues, and, and they make that clear. Um, um, so, so doctrinally, there would be some differences what we teach here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, that doesn't make them bad. It just, it just, it's... Parachurch Bible study organization shouldn't be necessary. If the church is doing its job, then um, it shouldn't be necessary to go outside. And you would better use that time to be studying the Bible on your own, learning to hear from the Lord, learning to get direction from the Lord, um, developing an intimacy in the Word. So whatever time BSF is going to take from you, uh, if you're going to a healthy, well-balanced church, then I think that time could be better used. Now, if you're going to a church that sort of just preaches topical messages, then BSF is valuable. And I would 
I would say that it's probably something that you ought to do. It's a little bit deeper than the churches that are just teaching topical Bible studies. So, Rachel, I hope that answers your question. Thank you for asking. Here is a question, another anonymous one. Um, Pastor, I get discouraged because so many Christians have no concern for holiness and unbelievers think that we're all hypocrites. Why does God allow us to be disobedient? Boy, is that a million-dollar question, Anonymous. Um, God doesn't force us to do anything. God tells us what we need to do, but we're the ones that actually have to make the choice to do it. And if we love Jesus, we we should realize that we don't have a choice. Let me make a a, a comment here, uh, and then I'll, I'll come back to the last part of the question. Um... One of the gifts that God has given me from the very beginning of my walk with the Lord is just something that I knew. I don't know why I know it. Um, In part, it's, it's a gift of faith, I believe. But one of the things that the Lord spoke to my heart about very, very, very early in my walk with the Lord, uh, now some 31 years, is, is when he speaks, I respond. He's in charge. I'm not. And um, the, the discussions about holiness, um, what other Christians do, um, that, that should have no bearing on us at all. What, what other people say uh, shouldn't concern us at all. What we know about our own walk is the only thing that should matter. And um, I would counter with this. Do you have a personal concern for holiness? Are you concerned about the witness that you present to unbelievers, people in the world? See, that's the only thing that should matter at all, Anonymous, is your walk with the Lord. Don't look out, look in. And uh, believe me, when uh, you're walking uh, in the will of God, uh, unbelievers are going to notice you. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. And one last thing, whenever we're, we're, we're saying unbelievers are saying, well, those Christians are all hypocrites, uh, they're just looking for an excuse not to believe in Jesus Christ. That's all they're doing. So you make sure you have a concern for personal holiness. You make sure you're walking in the will of God. And don't worry at all about what anybody else says or thinks. Too often, especially in this day and age of social media, we're reading comments uh, that people make. Oh, you Christians are this, new Christians are that. Um, Don't read the comments. The only thing that matters is what about you and your walk with Jesus? Thank you, Anonymous. Let's go to Thomas on line one from San Antonio. Thomas, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Ron. How are you doing, my friend? Thomas, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I love how you answer. That's beautiful, Ron. That's really cool. Um, Ron, look, I, 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 it tears me apart to even have to ask, but you're my brother in Christ. And, you know, it's like there's uh, wisdom. Like it says, there's, in the multitude, there's wisdom there. So I'm asking for this, Ron. I'm thinking about going back home to California uh, after everything, all the mess that I've been through here. And uh, I prayed on this. And um, job opening was offered to me there. What do you think about that, Ron? Okay, some of it, some of it you broke up. A job opening was offered to you where? In California, and I was thinking on returning home because of everything that broke out here for me, and there's nothing more here for me. Okay, I, I get it. Thank you, Thomas, for that. Uh, I think this was pretty easy, Thomas. I would think... Uh, first of all, trials and difficult situations uh, are, are intended to test your faith. If you have time tonight, Thomas, tune into CalvaryEssay.com and watch tonight's Bible study because I think this is this is a, a, a primer sort of on how to get into the will of God and be sure that we stay there. And what I would say to do is um, don't do anything. Stay where you are until... God frees you to go. Uh, every move that you make, um, family uh, dependent on you, uh, they're following you as you follow Christ. Uh, what, whatever move you make, you need to have the confidence that this is what God wants you to do. 
There's a great Bible study in Second Kings chapter 6. Uh, I'll be getting to that in just a few weeks. But in Second Kings chapter 6, it's where um, uh, Elijah throws, a, or Elisha rather, throws a piece of wood uh, and the axe head floats. Uh, and the story there is you've you got you to gotta persevere through these trials uh, because if you stop, if God has you here and you're not being faithful or you're not persevering through the difficult times, then this is a lesson that you're going to have to learn the next place that you go. And we want to learn these lessons quickly. We want God to get through them. So there's nothing wrong with you. have been offered a job. Working is a good thing. Uh, but what you need really to do is is seek the Lord on this so that when you go to the people that are, are, are affected by the decision that you make, uh, you can say, this is what God is leading us to do. Not because you want it, not because it makes sense or because it's easier, but just wait on the Lord and, and say, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open my Bible. I'm going to be reading uh, a spirit of God I need to hear. What should I do in this situation? Stay in the situation you're in until God sends you in another direction. Thomas, thanks for the question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our Wednesday show, 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life, celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630, The Word. We're taking your calls at 210-340-9585. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the show. It's Wednesday, and we would love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You know, before I go to the next question, Thomas made the statement, and I heard this, hear this a lot. Out of Proverbs, of course, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. But one of the things that we want to be sure is that our counselors are wise, you know, asking people for their opinion, asking people what they think has no value if, in fact, uh, they're not um, giving you biblical wisdom. So be careful who you ask about what they think. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I I don't Hi, really Cindy. have a question. Hi, you know what? I don't have a question. I just have something that I thought about the other day that I thought was kind of unique in the way that God created our bodies and that if you stand perfectly straight and you raise your arms shoulder level and, you know, stretched out sideways, that we form a cross. And and I just thought that was really unique. And I know that somewhere back some time ago, I heard some type of a, I don't know what it was, a, a study that like in our in our chromosomes or DNA or something way inside of us, that there is an actual cross uh, in, inside of, of our molecular structure. So that's all I had. But anyways, I'll be looking okay. forward to the study tonight. I'm going to get off the phone and, and just uh, listen to you. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. Yeah, Cindy, I, I'm I'm not that mystical. I think we've got two arms because we need them. Um, uh, we stand upright because that's the way God created us. Um, we're made in His image. Jesus became a man. Um, the DNA thing. I think I think often Christians are looking for for these mystical connections or clues. We don't need any connections or clues. We've got an empty tomb. We've got the Word of God, uh, and we've got the love of God that's been poured out into our hearts. So um, you keep thinking, uh, but but that's that's just not my wheelhouse there at all, Cindy. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Jeremiah. He says, I enjoy my church, and it is a word of faith church. Faith is good, so what's wrong with the faith church? Well, Jeremiah, what's wrong with it is because everything they're telling you is a lie. Now, I understand why you enjoy it, 
typically faith churches, word of faith churches, they've got um, um, pretty active, lively worship. Um, they tell you what you want to hear instead of what's true. Um, you're right, faith is good, but there's not a word of faith church in the world that understands what faith really is. And their faith is in faith rather than faith in the object of faith, which is Jesus Christ. And so I can tell you what's wrong with it is it's it's leading you away from the person of Jesus Christ. It's intentionally, willfully misrepresenting Jesus Christ. And um, you've got to make a decision. Do you want to be a part of a church or do you want to be a part of Jesus' church? And word of faith churches are heretical. Word of faith churches are willful in their misrepresentation of who Jesus is. Word of faith churches are taking advantage of the people who go to them. Uh, you're not getting rich. They are. Um, and, you know, whatever you enjoy about your church, it will be a hundred times better in a church where the Word of God is being faithfully taught. So faith is only as good as the object of your faith. And if your faith is in an anointed man or woman, if your faith is in a doctrine, Jesus wants me to be happy, Jesus wants me to be healthy, Jesus wants me to be rich, then you don't even have a clue who Jesus is. And that's the biggest problem, Jeremiah, with the Word of Faith Church. The people that go there are sold to Jesus that isn't real. And that's why... You need to change churches. You need to decide, is your allegiance to Jesus or is your allegiance to a message that can never be fulfilled? So that's the best I got for you, Jeremiah. Uh, Melvin says, Pastor, is there a difference between pleasing man and just not wanting to offend? You know, Melvin, that's an interesting question. I think there is certainly a connection between those two things. I think when you don't want to offend somebody and they're doing something that is ungodly or they're they're believing things that are, are heretical or uh, in the world that we live in, unbelievers who are living lifestyles that are offensive to God, um, um, I think not wanting to offend them is an excuse so that they don't become critical of you. And um, I think maybe wanting to please people is sort of the root of not wanting to offend. But I think we need to be more mature than this. Jesus said that his gospel will offend. He said he was an offense. He said people would hate you because they hated him. And it's not to be taken personal. It's it's because we represent him and his word. And in a world that's rejected all of that, of course, people are going to be offended. But why would that bother us? So, Melvin, yeah, I, I think the, the, the difference is motive. And uh, you're the one who knows your heart. God knows your heart. So you've got to decide, would, would I rather offend Jesus or offend people? Now, I want to be clear here. Um, nothing that we do should be motivated by wanting to offend. Even the worst people, we, we, we need to treat them with respect we need to treat them with dignity. We need to be kind to them and loving to them. But we need always to tell them the truth. And in the world that we live in, Melvin, when you tell somebody the truth, uh, they're going to be offended by it because they don't want to stop sinning. And you've got to be okay with that. And if you're not okay with that, then you are a man pleaser and you're not pleasing God. And I think the decision has to be made. Do I want to please God or do I want to please man? And the choice that you make is going to determine whether or not God is able to use you. So, I, you know, Melvin, I don't think anybody likes confrontation. Um, it's certainly never comfortable to tell somebody that what they believe in is sin or it's going to result in them spending eternity in hell. I don't think anybody likes doing that. But at the same time, if we love God, we've got to love the people. And if we love the people, we've got to love them enough to tell the truth, uh, especially when it comes to our own family members, the people that are closest to us. Um, imagine not wanting to offend a family member and then a family member spending forever in hell 
How can you reconcile those two things? That's not loving to your family member. So I think, Melvin, we've got to toughen up a little bit as Christians, and we've got to be um, willing to be offensive uh, without trying to be offensive, and yet knowing that what you're going to say is offensive. And you've got to be willing to, to take a stand, a firm stand, for Jesus in that case. So, um, you know, maybe it's makes us feel a little better. Say, well, no, I just don't want to offend people. But, but really, the root of that, I think, is, is being a man pleaser. We care too much about what people think. And even when we're telling them the truth in love, we'll say things like, well, you know, I'm not perfect, or, uh, or, or God loves you. Um, and yet what we need to do is tell them that the lifestyle they're living offends a holy God, and he sent his son to die for your sins. I think our response always needs to be gospel-centered rather than um, being worried about what somebody's response is going to be. And then the hardest thing is not taking it personally. I mentioned that a moment ago. But but we've got to, to understand it's not personal. They don't hate you. Uh, you may get the brunt of their response, but it's God that they hate. It's God that they're rejecting. So I hope that makes sense to you, Melvin. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Brenda. She says, what does it mean that the Bible is living and active? Is this necessary to believe? Yeah, Brenda, it's necessary to believe. Let me explain what it means and why. Uh, that the Bible is living and active means that it never changes. It's perfect. And it never changes because perfection doesn't need to change. It doesn't change culturally. It doesn't change um, uh, according to the, the time in history that we live in. It's as, as relevant today as it was when Paul and James and Matthew and Mark and Luke uh, and the Apostle John um, and, and Jude were, 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 and Peter uh, were, were writing it. Um, when they wrote those words on paper nearly 2,000 years ago, um, they were just as accurate, just as perfect as they are today. And so we, we can't say, well, we're, we're more sophisticated now, so the Bible has sort of outlived its usefulness. We can't do that. So it's living, and, and since God is the great I Am, uh, it's suitable for every time and period of history. That it's active and I like to say actively alive, is even more significant practically for us because what that means is that it meets us where we are. You know, when you first get saved, you don't really understand much about the Bible and you read it and it's kind of confusing and God will sort of pop off the pages. But 15 years later, and and you know the word better and you know Jesus better, he's still going to use the same words to meet you and your difficulties or strengthen or encourage you um, from those same passages of Scripture. It's amazing. Paula reads to me over and over and over, and, and she'll say something, just a word or something will be in it, and I'll say, what, what did that word say? And she'll repeat it, and I'm thinking, you know, I never heard that before. And of course I've read it before, so it means I've heard it before. But the idea is there are times when God wants to speak to me about something I'm going through right now. And the Bible is actively alive and it travels and grows with me in the process. So um, that's what it means to be living and active. That's why we can go, uh, Hebrews says, approach the throne of grace with confidence. King James used the word boldness or boldly or boldness um, um, to, 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 to get what we need at the time we need it. Um, because it's alive. Now, relative to whether it's necessary to believe that, Brenda, if you don't have that view of the Word of God, then if you, you just think about it logically, the Word of God has no practical value at all. It is either true today and will speak to us today, or there's no reason that we should read it. And so, to, to, is it necessary to believe? I think... It is absolutely essential to believe if you're going to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. 
I just don't think that there's anyone who, apart from the Word of God, I don't think there's anyone who's going to withstand the onslaught of propaganda and brainwashing that we have in this world right now. The world is going to convince you that they're right unless we are feeding on the Word of God, ingesting it, and letting it change us. That's why Paul says not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but being renewed or transformed, rather, by the renewing of our minds. So if you don't believe that the Bible is living and active, um, then the, the, the only conclusion that you'll come to is that it has no real value for it. What's the point in looking at it? You know, one of the things, Brenda, that I've had to deal with over years and years and years is watching people sort of fall away in their walk with the Lord. Uh, they start out so well, God blesses them, God uses them, and they just sort of become lukewarm. They they become less and less convinced that God's word is God's word. It's like the question we had in the very first part of the program where somebody says, you don't have to, to, to be holy or you don't have to be a saint to honor God's word. Um, those people all fall away. And those are the people that end up agreeing with the world that abortion's okay or that, that gay marriage is okay or that being transgender is okay um, because they're not feeding on the living, active Word of God. And I think one of the things that we have to do, Brenda, is make a decision about what this Bible means to us. Uh, I have people in our in my own church, they get really irritated because I'm so certain about things. Um, but the the real problem with them is that they won't find out for themselves so they can be certain. We like that ambiguity. We we like um, not having limits because that way we can justify sinning if that's what we want to do. And you got to decide, Brenda, if this word is alive, if it's active, uh, if it truly is God's word, then uh, it is the manual that we have for life. And if you don't decide that, if you don't make a decision about the Bible, then you're going to sort of make it up as you go along. Good question, Brenda. Thank you very, very much. Here's an anonymous question. Uh, if we're supposed to love other people, why do we oppose people who love someone of the same sex? Um, anonymous, I think you know the answer to that. This is one of the truly dishonest questions um, that that we get in our in our world. Um, we are supposed to love other people, but loving people, Anonymous is telling them the truth about God, telling them the truth about them. Um, uh, you know, the world throws out the word love so casually, um, but but it's not love uh, to be involved in a, in a homosexual marriage. It's not love. Now, I understand feelings. I understand emotions. I understand passion, all those other things, but but loving someone requires wanting the best for them. And the best for, for everybody, believer and unbeliever alike, is to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we oppose people who are involved in gay relationships because it's the worst thing for them. Because on that day, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, they will be terrified because they won't be able to make the, the, the lame, worldly excuses that people make now. They're going to look into that holy face, and they're going to be without excuse, and Jesus is going to say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. And Anonymous, we've got to love those people enough to tell them the truth before that time happened. Now, whether they listen to you or not, that's up to them. But we oppose people who are in relationships that are anathema to God. And same-sex relationships are anathema to God. He gets to make the rules, and we don't. And if you love people, if you really love them, you'll tell them the truth. Otherwise, uh, as I said, anonymous to Brenda's question, if you don't make a decision on your own about the veracity of the Word of God... Um, then you're going to be won over by the thinking in this world. And you just demonstrated that by asking that dishonest question. 
340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Reggie asks this, should we even pray for people who publicly embrace the LGBT lifestyle and hate God? Reggie, we should especially, not even pray, we should especially pray for those people. Those people are not the enemies of our ministry. They are the object of our ministry. People that are living in willful sin, people that don't know Jesus Christ, by definition, they, they are the ones that need to be the object of our prayers. And I think sometimes, and Reggie, I don't know you, so I, don't, I, I can't judge your heart. That's not what I want to do on this show at all. But often when I get a question like this, it's like, well, they're, they're so far out there and they hate God so much. Why, why even pray for them? And the reason is because there was somebody praying for you before you got saved. And your sin wasn't any less than the sin of those who have adopted an LGBT lifestyle. They hate God, so did I. The King James, I love the language. I was at enmity with God before I got saved, meaning there was a hostile, violent war going on between me and God. My sin separated me just like the LGBT lifestyle sins separate them from God. I think sometimes there's sort of an inferred, well, at least my sin isn't as bad as theirs, but but all sin separates us from God. And so, yeah, we need to pray. We need to pray for the salvation. We need to, to offer those whatever it takes, Lord, prayers on their behalf. And uh, I like to let people know when I see them, hey, I've been praying for you. You know, one of the neat things about walking around and praying is I'll run into people. Jesus has these little divine appointments when we're out uh, and about. And um, um, I'll, I'll be able to see somebody and, and they'll say, Pastor Ron, or they'll say something to Paula. And I'll be able to say, you know, I was just praying for you today. And boy, they'll look, oh, come on. No, I really was praying for you today. God put you in my heart. How are you doing? And it really gives you an opportunity to to share the, the gospel with them. So, Reggie, yeah, we, we should pray without ceasing for the people who are currently enemies of God. We pray that God would break their hearts, break their will, humble them, whatever it takes. We want them in heaven because Jesus loves them. So, Reggie, yeah, that's what we should do. Thank you for the question. Um, Christine, uh, good question here, Christine. What is the difference between gossip and venting? Uh, I don't know really what you mean by venting so much. Somebody did something and and it, it frustrated you or angered you, and so you're just venting to somebody. Um, let me say this, Christine. As believers, we have no right to vent ever. Ever. Gossip we know is a sin. Speaking ill of somebody, even if it's true, speaking ill of somebody with the intent to harm them or to cause harm is uh, spiritual murder. So, so gossip is one of the prevailing sins in the church these days. It's like, well, um, we try to spiritualize it sometimes, but, but we know when we're speaking ill of somebody. So um, that's got to be off the list. Venting about what somebody does or about somebody's personality or, or even venting about the church you go to or your boss, whatever it is. As Christians, that kind of speech should never come from our mouths. You know, we've got the word of God living in us. James says, brothers, with the same tongue, you, you bless and curse. And then it's almost like he pleads, brothers, this should not be. And inventing is sort of the same kind of thing. We need to have a positive message. I don't mean a message that life is going to be great if you get saved. Um, but, 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 you know, Jesus, the joy of the Lord is with us. And we need to be able to communicate to people that our Jesus actually changes who we are, what we think, and how we behave. And if we'll do that, believe me, Christine, there will be people who are following you as you follow Christ. There will be people who come to you to seek 
um, um, what you what the Lord is saying. Um, it's just a better way to live. So um, let me say again, gossip and vending should never come out of the mouth of a Christian. My grandma used to say, Ronnie, and this is long before I was saved. Ronnie, if you have nothing nice to say, say nothing at all. That's wisdom right there. So no, don't vent. If you want to vent, take a walk with Jesus and pray for that person, and he will set you straight right away. He'll tell you, how about you just pray for that person instead of venting about that person? So I hope that makes sense. Last question of the day. This half hour went very quickly. Dale said, uh, who had the authority to change the day of worship to Sunday uh, from the Sabbath? Dale, uh, Jesus did that himself, actually, when he said in the, the upper room, uh, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. Um, we're told uh, um, in Paul's epistles that uh, by saying that, he canceled the old covenant. Sabbath worship is part of the old covenant. There can be no disagreement about that. So the minute Jesus established new covenant, and the minute that covenant was confirmed by his death and resurrection from the dead, then there was sort of a blank piece of paper. And the first century church, which was entirely Jewish, by the way, uh, the first century church, at least the early part of the, of the first century church, um, was entirely Jewish. They're the ones that changed it to honor the resurrection, resurrection day rather than the Sabbath. Hope that makes sense. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Good news. Paula will be here with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh, celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630 The Word. The Word to Stand On for Life airs every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life is sponsored by Calvary Chapel San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.